What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Hardcore Troubadour. My name is Brian Wallace. And my name is Tyler Short. And here's part two of our discussion on The Wire. Yes. I can't wait for it. But also, I'm bracing myself a little bit because Tyler said there's something we have to talk about before we get into season three. And I think I know what it is. Dude, a thing happened this week, and that is Ben Shapiro on a rap song. And I texted you about it. You were like, I knew you were texting me about this. Because you were the person who I didn't know who that fucker Tom Tom McDonald McDonald was until you told me about him. And I have to remember too, whenever I watch this shit, to like go on incognito on YouTube, or else I'll start getting recommended like the most awful shit. But yeah, uh, Chad Letty uh, from Roll Call and Perfect World sent me. Um, that video so you know shout out to him he sent it to you he he wasn't gonna let you uh naturally avoid it of course yeah yeah he knew it was something i needed to see um and also was the one who informed me that tom mcdonald who complains about where all the american flags are is in fact canadian so he's like your connect on tom mcdonald it's not me um you were the first person to tell me about him. But oh, okay. One thing you and Chad have in common is if there's something repulsive happening uh, from the like right wing internet, one of you is going to tell me about it. Yeah. Eyes are glued. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, uh, I, this is the second time a Tom McDonald video has come across my YouTube as an ad, as a paid ad. <laughs> While I'm watching things about, you know, war crimes in Gaza or trans rights in Florida. I get American flags by Tom McDonald. And then this week, facts. Maybe they think you're hate watching things about trans rights in Florida. Maybe they do. Well, I I mean, it's, it's obviously like the, the, well, I think we, we had this discussion when we talked about this before that they, they boost these videos on, they're, they boost these songs, <laughs> if we're going to call them that, <laughs> yeah. onto videos with these like um, hot button topics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thinking they're going to get linked to videos of people praising Ron DeSantis or advocating for further airstrikes. Um, and uh, occasionally they get connected to videos about how that stuff's bad. Mm-hmm. And then people like me become obsessed. Yeah. And I, I, I would imagine from Tom McDonald's perspective, you know, it, it's always hard to tell with these types, how much of it is they're truly rotten to their core and how much of it is a, is a bit. Oh, um, his is usually, a bit. yeah. It's usually a combination of both. Cause you have to be somewhat rotten to do a bit like this, mm-hmm. but um, you know, yeah, I think they're totally fine if for every one, person who's genuinely like fuck yeah this rules if they have a hundred other people for every one of those being like look at these idiots they still win because they're getting because the i view. watched it yeah and then we're sending it to our friends and we're all like look at these assholes but like next thing you know it's got you know 100 million views and people are talking about it and that's the goal is just to you know but you also have to think about like those those views are also some of them are someone putting on a video on YouTube and then going to do the dishes Mm -hmm. and then it hits that ad. And now you've got American flags playing. 
Yep. Unwarranted. Un, right. un, uh, w- without consent. Um, just playing on the TV, but your hands are wet and you're washing the dishes and you're like, wait, what is he saying? <laughs> and then you, and then you get a look at him. Um, and you can't look away at that point. Yeah. It, and I mean, the thing that's amazing too is on this particular song, when Ben Shapiro starts, first I thought, is this He's AI? just in it. First yeah. I just thought he's in it. First I just yeah. thought he's just in it. And Standing then I was, there awkwardly, yeah. And I was like, oh, that's weird that he's in this music video. That's crazy. And then the last thing I thought was going to happen, happened. Mm-hmm. He starts he, rapping. He begins to rap. And next to Ben Shapiro, Tom McDonald sounds like the baddest motherfucker of all time. Yeah, Because he's like, he's actually got a little bit of flow. And, you know, like, can... He, he's a performer. He, we'll, he's give pull, him, we'll give yeah, him that. He's pulling it off. But like, you know, I... We've, I'm not saying anything new, but like every time I have the misfortune of hearing Ben Shapiro's voice, I'm just like, I can't that's really his voice yeah people like listen to this weasley motherfucker and take seriously things he tells you about the world and masculinity and the way things should be um he he you know sounds like a spoiled child which is what he is and what he's always been um so yeah if you um want to have to bleach out your eyes and ears we recommend going on youtube and watching Fact by Tom McDonald featuring special guest Ben Shapiro. And normally I say, hey, if you haven't heard that yet, press pause on here and go listen to that. But um, you might not come back after being drawn into that hole. So uh, we'll, we'll suggest you leave that for later. Dude, we went over to uh, our friend Alex's house last night and we didn't have time to watch another episode of TV or something. So I was like, have you seen the Ben Shapiro rap video? <laughs> so she'd never even heard of tom mcdonald or anything so me and ashton are going through the greatest hits american <laughs> flags um we we end up we, we watch people so stupid which is another one that's great i'm not familiar um, with that one it sucks <laughs> and uh we watched one about the end of the world which involved aliens and a country singer i've never heard of um which was really cool and um we did we did start playing a game of how long does it take him to make a anti-trans like bar how long do you make it a minute there's some there's some there was okay it's either it either doesn't happen at all or within the first 30 seconds yeah that makes sense (laughs) it's either a whole song without being transphobic or within the first 30 seconds he's talking about there only being two genders or uh or saying something uh along the lines of uh trans women aren't women um it's interesting yeah playing uh, the hits see. right we also noticed that like because we watched i we straight up speaking of algorithms ruined their youtube algorithm uh at their house <laughs> um i told alex she should get a maga hat and just put it on for when it's uh ryan who sings in gates to hell mm-hmm. and uh dustin who um plays Bates and Gates to Hell. They're on tour with Machine Head right now for like, like three more weeks. Sick. Incredibly sick. But uh, so it's Ryan's partner and Dustin's roommate. So I was like, you should just get a MAGA hat on and just be like on the couch wearing it whenever they get back. 
<laughs> but uh so we we started listening to like we're watching a bunch of his videos throughout the years and we like figured out like oh this is when he started to realize he's getting more clicks when he appeals yeah. to this demographic and uh it's very interesting and you'll be happy to know that we ended it by showing her all of those racist uh cover songs of la bamba and the beach boys dude that, that i sent you yeah and <laughs> I, I i i just really i just really didn't need it man um, no, nobody needed it i, I did <laughs> because of showing her those those rusty humphreys songs or whatever um we did watch a few that ashton had never been exposed to like a uh, teenager in palestine which is a really bad one um and uh it's so racist it's crazy it didn't even exist god damn it man um yeah well shout out to the you know now time-honored tradition of hanging out with your friends and making each other watch youtube videos because that's honestly some of the hardest i've ever laughed in times hanging out is doing that i had a my splitting friends. headache on the way yeah, home yeah yeah um, it was cool but, but also props to you for um you know, ruining their YouTube algorithm, especially spreading while, the good news while the fellas were out with machine head, uh, letting freedom ring with a shotgun blast as it were Tom McDonald. That's what he's all about. So, I mean, there, he wishes know. he was all yeah, about that. He, he wishes does. his shit was as hard as Davidian dude. Fuck so hard. I have probably speaking of YouTube videos, I have watched the dynamo 95 version of Davidian like more times than I could possibly count. Um, if, if it has 10 million views, half of them are mine. You there? Oh, you went away for a second, but... You went away for a second. I went uh, away for a second. No, but we're good. Well, I was just saying the version of Davidian that gets me the most stoked is Dynamo 95. Have you seen this one? I don't think so. Dynamo Festival in Europe. Oh, so um, it's a live version. It's a live version. Okay. They sound sick. He's wearing a fucking... Chromag's windbreaker. Let's go. Um, dude, we'll watch it after this. It's like I have probably pulled up that version of Davidian on YouTube more than I've like listened to it on the Burn My Eyes record. Um also a great set from Dynamo 95 Biohazard. Um it was like it's you can see so many fun things just about that time because um, I think MTV did like a full thing on it. So you can see like hilarious interviews with like Bobby from Biohazard and shit like that. But uh, that's fucking awesome. Yeah. The, the machine headset is just fucking flawless. They sound so hard. It rules. Um, that so rules. Yeah, check it out. We well, should yeah. talk about the wire, man. Let's talk about the wire. We uh, we left off uh, at the end of season two. Um, and talking about, uh, I can't remember if we were, if we, if we were talking about Ziggy being my most hated character and Hurt yep. being your most hated character. I think that was, yeah. according to my notes, that's where we would have ended talking. That's about um, where we got to. And I, and I've since too, I've gone back and forth on my least most hated character, either being Herc or Maury Levy, the lawyer. Oh, um, what a fucking slime, dude. Yeah. So I'm I'm kind of torn between those two, but they both get a lot of my ire. Yeah, he's so gross. I hate him. I hate his face. <laughs> I think that was the point. He does it so well. Like he's intensely dislikable. I don't hate Herc's face. I don't blame him for being as stupid as he is. 
but Maury Levy is like complicitly evil. Yeah. Throughout the entire show. I mean, it's, it's, he's very much, it is, it almost ventures into like caricature. Yeah. You know what I mean? Similar to Clay Davis. Yeah. Yeah. But I don't think it's off base. It's not off base. I mean, there are, I have encountered even in my very limited interactions personally with the criminal justice system, multiple attorneys that fit that exact profile, like the way they sound, the way they work, like all of it. So, so um, slimy. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, let's get into season three, which I'm calling uh, the last train to Amsterdam. Nice. Um, yeah. For uh, Ray Wiley Hubbard fans uh, that uh, the, the few people will get that. Um, and we only have a few, if we're going to keep going along the lines of starting with the, uh, the quote unquote criminals, um, a couple, a new, a new character gets introduced, but let's, let's go with, and let's go with one of our old, our old guys, my, my, my OG pick. Let's talk about Bodie and, uh, his, uh, change of employment this season. Yeah. Let's talk about it. He basically gets fucked so bad <laughs> in season three of The Wire. He goes from being one of the rising stars in the Barksdale organization to essentially relegated to a shitty corner again. Well, and the important context too, right, at the beginning of season three is that the towers get demolished, right? Yes. Which is obviously impacts everything about the drug trade and particularly with within the Barksdale organization. But there's this new, a new, uh, a new kingpin on the rise. And with all of this competition now um, and uh, supply getting cut off for, uh, for certain kind, for certain things for the Barksdales, uh, Stringer has to make that deal with Prop Joe, which inevitably just everything just gets gets so fucking messy this season. Or we know the, that the deal was last season. This season is just the, Bodie gets forced to do to sell Stanfield's drugs. That's right. That's what it is. Mm-hmm. And they suck. Yes. That's what it is. Yeah. Yeah, Bodie gets fucked this season, man. It's it's hard to watch. It's because you, you kind of see him like like learn how quickly it all can get taken away without going to jail. Yes. I also think though one of the moments where Bodie shows that he's one of the smartest characters on the entire show, right, is when um he gets stopped and interrogated um by McNulty and um, the state's attorney Perlman, um, like basically knew what he had to say to be let go. Right. And I remember he calls it contrapment when he meant yeah. entrapment, mm-hmm. but like, you know, again, just contrasting it from just a couple of, you know, seasons before, like as a, when he was young and the contrast between him and Wallace and who's like, who's built for this life and who's not. And so even as he's getting screwed and and sort of demoted in this way he's still showing like his you know street smarts completely no for sure and uh 
I don't really have too much on Bodie this season until until next season. There's there's a ton of uh of moving for him. Uh, but if we're gonna if we want to stick with this, then we're just gonna talk about a few of my characters uh, that it. I picked, and the next one are new characters that are introduced, and I've I've tagged them together because they're inseparable, and that's Snoop and Chris get introduced this season. Yes, and I think they are two of the most interesting characters in the last two seasons of the show um because there hasn't been a real uh, outside of like some of omar's accomplices and crew you don't see a real tough as shit female character yeah in the streets you have greg's on the the law enforcement side but snoop is actually from the streets tough as shit and with <laughs> the most perfect baltimore accent like it's authentic it, like yeah nails the <laughs> the twos and like you know so i can't even do it but like that that the short you sound that you will only hear pronounced like that in baltimore and particularly in black communities in baltimore it's just like perfect um yeah i just they they get introduced and they are just such cutthroat fucking killers yep and even though like snoop is like you're seeing the introduction of her to this level of violence as chris is kind of she's chris's apprentice in a way mm -hmm. and um yeah chris pardlow is just a terrifying character yes in in so many ways and uh i had forgotten until like revisiting and looking at this i forgot that chris is the one who fucks avon up mm -hmm. in the drive-by and like like just blast the side of his car with a fucking shotgun um so this season really you get to see how touchable some of these kingpins are once you show any bit of weakness and start losing your turf you're not off the the list of people who can be killed. Yeah. Anybody can be touched. Anybody can be touched. Um, I mean, they're so, they are such brutal killers that, you know, later in season three, when Stringer gets killed. They take credit. Yeah, they take it, like people assume <laughs> that it's them and they don't. They don't no. deny it, even though it no. wasn't them, right? Yeah, they're um, they're actively not dissuading people from thinking that because it helps them. Yeah, I have a lot to say about Snoop and Chris in season four. Me too, in particular. Um, Me too. I yeah. think that that's where you really get to know you really get to know Chris, and um, you really get to see, um, I guess Snoop's. Uh, jealousies come out a little bit and a lot of her uh paranoia become present but um to get him out of the way Weebay does one thing in this season and that's connect cuddy to avon when he yes. gets out mm -hmm. and i've got cuddy in the gangster section for this season yeah because he starts there that's where he starts absolutely and this is where we meet cuddy right yes this is where we meet cuddy and um, I only had ever seen this actor in The Walking Dead before. Mm. And part of the reason why I started watching The Wire, period, was because me and Ashton liked his character so much in The Walking Dead. 
and my buddy Nate, who I talked about last episode, who gave me the first season, the first couple seasons of The Wire on DVD to watch, he had told me that this actor was in The Wire. And I, of course, the whole first season, I'm waiting because I'm told he's in it because I don't understand yet that every season of the show is different. Yeah. <laughs> and then he would be introduced later and not grasping the fact that there can be a character that isn't even in the first two seasons of the show that is so fucking important to the story. Oh, absolutely. In and, a later season. And connects so many pieces. Yes. Too, right. Yeah. Because the, like I can just quickly get out of the way. One of the characters I want to talk about a lot in season four is Grace Sampson, who's one yes. of the, the educators. Mm -hmm. She briefly appears in season three where we find out that she's Cuddy's ex. And he's and, trying. And he's trying really hard to get her back. And she is not having it. And it's very much a like, I wish you well. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, um, she can't see yeah. him for... Yeah for being she can't see him as reformed that's right she's not going to she only sees him as the wild in the streets gangster that he was before he went away for 14 years yeah a long time and um the other thing you mentioning his performance in the walking dead the actor's name is chad coleman um i'm also reminded i'd forgotten about is that he plays a small recurring bit on some of the uh character on some of the later seasons of it's always sunny in philadelphia and it really he plays z who's like one of the dudes that's like often like hanging out under the bridge or that they like bring around the bar sometimes and he's like it it just actually shows his range yeah i don't so remember much. that i feel like i need to rewatch. yeah he's only in he's in a few episodes but he's always like holding a drink cup and he has like a you know like a a fucking you know toboggan off to the side of his head and um is just hilarious though so like it it shows that's awesome like, he's got so much range as an actor yeah Dude, we just I, watched the new season of it's always sunny in like two days have you seen the new season the, yet i have not watched the new season fucking insane <laughs> i was about to say, crazier than ever i'm sure so can't wait they still got it yeah yeah but that's i mean chad coleman awesome actor and that was what reminded me seeing him there as i was like a few years ago when I first saw him on It's Always Sunny, I was like, yo, that's Cuddy. And I didn't remember seeing him in anything else. It was awesome. That's fucking awesome. Cuddy and things have gone horribly wrong for him. Um, but yeah, no, I think he does such a good job of showing like what it's like getting out of prison and how there really is a limited amount of options. Yeah. Of how you can survive after something that disruptive. Totally. Like you, even if, if you are trying to be on the straight and narrow work, you know, all these other things, like the obstacles, every step of the way, what you can and can't do gets, you know, grace connects him with this, with the deacon, Yep. you know, cause he wants to get his GD and then the deacons basically like, uh, you're too difficult. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, it's, yeah, like it, it is a very authentic representation of, the way that just because your sentence is done one having been away for that long in prison and two now carrying, you know, the convicted felon ex con, you know, you know, red letter around on your chest. Like you, you have so very few options to actually make an honest living. 
Yeah, no, like he totally doesn't work out for him landscaping at first at all, like at all. And uh, man, it just, but when he like starts like dealing again and like, like I working within the, the Barksdale organization, he's like almost like too competent mm. as well. Yeah, yeah. Like he sees so many of like the ways that they're like fucking up. But then at the same time, like when they get violent, he's like, oh, my God, mm -hmm. like he's more horrified than D'Angelo was by the level of violence that was happening because it just 14 years ago, I guess it just was not even though he was he, he went to prison. Right. I mean, and there was so much I mean, I'm imagining there's probably a connection there between like, you know, some of what Bunk says later, like. There was tough guys. There was fights, but it was a lot more fists. Yeah. And, and now it's all guns. And, you know, so instead of just a, a, a skirmish and somebody gets beat down and everybody makes it back home, it's a lot of bodies, you know? So, yeah, I mean, it's it's it really is like so, so fucked up what our gun culture has done to this country in in the way that like just it, it made people such pussies <laughs> i mean yeah like, and it, and as it, somebody who's been beaten up and right. jumped several times in my life like the ability to take an ass kicking and not like feel like you're emasculated by that yeah or the opposite how many people who if they didn't have the gun would have walked away because they would have been too cowardly to actually yeah. like fight instead feel like empowered because they're behind the gun. So start some shit that they wouldn't have otherwise because they knew they wouldn't be able to take a beating. Right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it, it crazy just, thing is, is everybody can take a beating as long as the person giving the beating is willing to not kill you. <laughs> that is true. Um, as long as the person giving the beating is smart enough to know like where the line is that you don't want to cross <clears throat> to be, guilty of manslaughter <laughs> and you the the problem is you you often don't know that yeah <laughs> um, um yeah anybody can crack their head on a curb and be be out of commission but i yeah. don't know i just I, I guess i just think of violence in such a different way because i have been like punched in the face so many times in my life there was a i mean i i agree with you it's like i i don't I don't ever want to come across as like glorifying violence or anything, but like fisticuffs often throughout human history has solved problems actually. Whereas guns don't solve problems. They create more problems, yes. right? Like fisticuffs, like, you know, can have the, you know, can, can actually have a healing effect on, okay, that beef is buried now or whatever. Like, yeah, it's done. You know, or that whatever. behavior that I did that that yeah. got me yeah. slapped up was unacceptable. And now yeah. I know I know I've felt what it feels like to uh to disrespect someone or step out of line in that way. I right. will not make that mistake again. Right. But when somebody takes another fucking person's life, like that's there's no lessons know, learned there. You know, there's there's been a, a line crossed um that uh I mean, to state the obvious, there's no fucking going back from. And um, so, yeah, man, it's uh, 
but yeah, you're totally seeing that. And I think that probably it's, it's implied that I think that's a little bit of a part of what Cuddy's experiencing when he gets out of prison and, and comes back. It's because clearly he was no stranger to violence. Mm-hmm. He just had not he opens a boxing gym, <laughs> right? He had not been exposed to this level of like casual gun violence, mm-hmm. you know, like where, yeah, killing people was just like acceptable. Except, yeah, like a just part of the game, yeah. right? Um, but yeah, no, dude, you are right though. I am like in my notes right now, looking at it, Cuddy ties so many people together because mm-hmm. he brings your girl Miss Sampson in. He you know, he connects to Avon through Weebay and Marla Daniels is one of the people who helps him get all the stuff together to open mm-hmm. up his boxing gym. That's right. Like he really plays in the pool with everybody. It's it's Cuddy is truly like in in on the subject of violence and dealing violence out. Cuddy is one of the is like a perfect example of like why you never fight somebody that you don't know because you <laughs> don't know who they know. Yeah, that's a great. <laughs> you point. don't know who you might be pissing off, <laughs> who you might be friends with. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Simply by like escalating a beef rather than just like quietly stewing and like talking shit. And like, I mean, especially in a place like Baltimore in you know the the world the underworld of of Baltimore drug dealers and those affiliated with them is not that large yeah so you know but those tendrils go deep into worlds that uh you wouldn't think they would right absolutely um but yeah no that's very cool and then uh the character of Justin with him is really sad i really uh i really hate that that is probably my least favorite part of this season, um, and not like it's bad and it sucks, but it's just like it's it hurts mm-hmm. to watch him try so hard to get this kid to like see see what he what what he spent fourteen years in prison learning about. Yep, like and just that failure, I think, foreshadows so many of his failures to come because. It sucks, but like what Cuddy's doing is literally what like conservatives and liberals like think that like ex-convicts or like reformed criminals should do. Right. Without realizing that the systems that are set in place are what keep these people. Well, Right. And he buried it's it, 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 every, even if, even if they do the right things. Yeah. I mean, because there's just, you speaking of those tendrils going deep, like, and Matt, Cuddy can never open the boxing gym unless he's getting money both from elite politicians and, and Avon Barksdale. And Avon Barksdale, you know I mean? who is awesome in that regard. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, it's worth mentioning too, right? That like one thing that I wrote is when, Cuddy kind of realized he didn't want to be in that world anymore. He tells Avon and Avon lets him leave and helps him get out, which is, you know, not something that would be granted to most people. Like, you know, they'd be reminded of like, there's only one way out of here, you know? And And then when people like in the future, Avon says, you don't fuck with him. Yeah. (laughs) 
he's like, he still deserves our respect. He tells, you know, he tells Slim Charles, like, like we're going to let Cuddy go um, and not just let him go, but like support him in his new endeavor of opening this boxing gym. Yeah, very. He's he's such a cool character. And like, I just when I saw your list and knew or like when I saw your list and realized that you hadn't picked him either, I was like, I'm I'm really glad that I chose him to to talk about a little bit because. I think that he he does a like he is he is one character that manages to connect and tell an important side of the story that you don't get through just talking about Presbaluski. Yeah. Or uh or Daniels or Davis or Bar- or any of the Barksdale clan. Cuddy does this bridge gap in season three and four that like I think is like really important. Sorry, I'm just remembering something and writing it down to mention later. Yeah. Well, I, I think the only other person from the criminal world um, on my end then is Brother Muzon. Yes, sir. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. I think so. And so, I mean, we, you know, last saw him getting shot by Omar, <laughs> but also um, helping Omar realize that he had been tricked by Stringer. Um, and, you know, he comes back looking for revenge. Um, at first, you know, the first thing he's got to do though, is find Omar. And he does that by finding Omar's boyfriend, Dante and beating him and finding his whereabouts. But, uh, in typical brother Muzon style, he was not seeking revenge on Omar. He was going to suggest that they work together to find and kill Stringer, um, which they do. Um, like like the apex predators they are. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, and it is like, you know, it's a, again, one of the, the, the more powerful scenes in the entire series when they ambush Stringer in a, you know, building he's trying to develop. Like yeah. a part of his, you know, like going straight real estate investment developer like business sense and just a, you know, it is a, a fatal reminder that like you're, you didn't leave this world. You can't just turn around and. Yeah. It's very fitting. Yeah. It's very fitting that that's where he's taken down through his, through his own bad decisions in the past. Yep. Coming home to roost and ruin his current shift away from this violence mm-hmm. but he wreaked so much havoc and devastation on so many other people and characters yep and uh it was avon who ultimately gave up stringer's location yep because he you know once, couldn't get past the d'angelo thing yeah couldn't get past realizing that stringer was the one responsible for d'angelo's death in prison um so you know and Avon didn't want to give it up at first, but mm-hmm. Brother Muzone knew uh, that he could cut off Barksdale's connections to New York. New York, yep. And that's what he threatened. And so Avon gave it up. Him and Omar went and did the job, and then Muzone disappears. And that is the end of his... That is the end of Brother Muzone, yeah. just so quickly as he came. Yeah, yeah. Seasons two He's and gone. three. Huge impact, but um, that's 
that's where he leaves us season three. Oh, I do have someone else in the criminal section. This this for this season. Who is and that's it? Clay Davis. Oh, yeah. I get it. <laughs> he's he's no longer in the politician circle. <laughs> yeah. So he's, I, I no he's it, full on a criminal this season. Right. Because so yeah, with Clay Davis in season three, whereas, you know, obviously his work taking money from the Barksdale organization and Stringer in particular had been implied in earlier seasons. Now we actually see like Stringer in his office. Yeah. <laughs> like could they're they are working together. He is taking bribes from the Barksdale organization. And I don't know, know how much they're working together. But yeah, Davis well, is definitely taking bribes. Davis is taking bribes. He's and shaking him pro- down. Pro- yeah. Promising <laughs> contract government contracts things like that for, you know, the legitimate front that Stringer is trying to build and um, not actually delivering it on any of it. Um, so yeah, he, he, he takes advantage of Stringer and I think probably betting like he's not going to come after me because he doesn't want the heat that he would get um, from assassinating like a, a public figure. And that's he exactly does what ask them Charles to do it. Yeah, he asks them Charles to do it, and Avon's Avon, like, "That is a bad idea." Yeah, it's like <laughs> this would this could ruin this entire thing yeah. if you kill a politician, even though it's a politician that um, shoots you down. Yeah, which season three really does sh- do this uh, this whole role reversal between Stringer being the smart, calculated tactician and yeah. Avon being the hot headed like emotional like avon's making decisions based on you know what is smart to do what is what is within the rules of the game to do mm-hmm. and stringer is a petulant child yeah in so many ways and yeah, I-, I just his his downfall this season is so fucking just just beautiful to it watch cuz He's so fucking cool. He really His is. name is so cool. Just yeah. saying Stringer Bell is so fucking cool. He is just this, this beast of a character. The most handsome man on the show, too. And, yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I, can, I can call Ashton in here. She'll agree with that, too. <laughs> not, not that most of the competition is too stiff on that front, but yeah. Um, um, yeah, but dude, just it's, it's a, it's a wonderful downfall. And I know we didn't like, I took him off of the, the, the table for picking as a character because we, you could talk about Stringer's story in just those three seasons yep. for as long as we're talking about the entire like series. Um, but it is worth giving him his flowers right now that Idris Elba just, yeah. And, and this was his introduction to the world and he rightly became a superstar after this. And I am still coming on almost 20 years later, man, when I hear Idris Elba's real speaking voice and British accent, I'm still thrown off a little bit Yeah, because his American accent as Stringer is so perfect. And the same is true for Dominic West as McNulty. Um, and the same is true for uh, Carcetti. Um, yeah, they fantastic. But I mean, that's, you know, if, if anyone who was a relative unknown when this show came out became a legitimate 
celebrity superstar afterwards. Oh, yes. It's it's Idris Elba, and he dies in the third season. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that, yeah. that's how much of an impact he had. Well, speaking of Carcetti, let's knock let's knock him out, and then we can talk to the cops afterwards. Um, Carcetti gets introduced, and in, or he's introduced last season, but he really, or does he get introduced last season? I can't remember. Uh, I think he's like no. In like you first see him. You might have seen him in the background as a yeah, city no. council member, but this is like his first. When they like, first introduce him this season, they're playing it like he's not a main. Yeah. And then as the season progresses, you start realizing how much of a more important character it is as they real as they kind of reveal that this isn't so much about the streets either. We're really getting into the politics of this city. Yeah. Uh, this season. Um, but yeah, the whole the way the way they show this city council, these rivalries, all of these different ways that like the mayor's not serving the community, how he is, how, how beholden so many of these people are to this, this funding or the illegitimate funding they're getting as well. Like I, I Carcetti does such a good job of peeling back like a lot of the, um, he peels back a lot of the corruption before he dives right on it. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and I can't help but root for him still, though. Well, there, there's something about he he plays the, you know, there was another politician who is later disgraced at this exact time that uh, Carcetti's character really reminded me of. And that's John Edwards, if anyone remembers. Oh, him. yeah. You know, who is like since been memory hold, right? Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, about just... He was insanely corrupt and he crossed major lines by like, you know, cheating on his wife while she was in chemo and shit like that, you know, just scumbag stuff. And like, yeah, don't get me wrong. Plenty of politicians in power have done worse, but mm -hmm. he, you know, he had few enough connections as just a dude from North Carolina that that was enough to ruin his career. Um, but he was a super compelling speaker. And I remember, um, both in 04 and in 08, um, like him hearing him and Obama, I could think, you know, as, as disillusioned as I was, and I'm far worse now than I was then being like, I like both of these guys. Yeah. You know what I mean? Cause there was like a sincerity about it. Um, there was something that was still refreshing to hear someone, you know, push, semi-progressive policies with a southern accent yeah you know, which is a, a, a definite rarity um but he that's who carchetti reminded me of and he's definitely like as i rewatched john edwards is way out of the zeitgeist but at the time the wire was on he was like rising to national prominence and it reminded me a lot of that um carchetti also brings for as much as like the wire has always been about race and hasn't been afraid of it. He is the first one that kind of starts explicitly talking about it. Right. Yeah. Like every, what's his line every day I w wake up white in a town that ain't or yep. something like that. Just n noting, you know, he's very realistic about the long pathway to him being, a, being mayor and stuff like yeah. that because he's white. Well, and he does such a good job of consolidating the black vote in this, 
this season. It's insane. The way he the way he manipulates his friend Gray on the mm -hmm. city council against Royce. Yeah. To and and more or less like convinces him to run. Yep. And then without telling him I'm gonna run too. That's right. To like just the way he knew he had to do that in order to give himself a, a fighting chance, knowing though that he, but with that, the knowledge that he is going to try to do better than Royce mm -hmm. who is so clearly gives no shits about the average working person in Baltimore or poverty stricken person yeah. in Baltimore. He only cares about the, the developers and who's going to help fund this stuff. Right. Because at, at this point, like you said, like Carcetti, as much as he's playing these games and, you know, pit pitting people against each other, splitting the black vote, et cetera, he does seem to like genuinely care about improving conditions for people in Baltimore, like to be concerned about all of the, you know, the vacant houses, the urban decay, the drugs. Yet at, this, at the same time, though, is so eyeing to surpass just being a Baltimore politician as well. Oh yeah, he's already like got his eye on governor. The entire time, he hasn't yeah. even won the race for mayor, mm -hmm. and he's planning a two-year run for governor. Yeah, which is crazy because that actually like works out for him in the character he's based on. <laughs> he like did the same thing. Yeah, which is crazy. Um, I do have one thing that uh that that I uh I wrote down about about his um his character this season that i uh that that i was thinking about as far as the cheating goes and mm -hmm. his cheating i i said that's that's kind of akin to tony soprano's violence hmm. in uh in the sopranos in the way that i think carcetti is so likable like the way he speaks like you're saying like for john edwards where you're like i kind of like this guy like it it's 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 nice i i yeah. i, I want to believe this so bad that like i'm i'm full of this hope that you have to be reminded that he also sucks yeah so they may, they're like certain to like show you like here he is cheating on his wife who his wife is awesome <laughs> and he is such a scumbag for cheating on her and there's I, I remember hearing like interviews with the showrunners for the Sopranos that one of the reasons why Tony would like hit a woman or like kill somebody every now and then in the show because the Sopranos was like written as it aired and they mm -hmm. were getting like that public feedback as the show you know developed they were so concerned with how much people loved Tony Soprano and were like mm -hmm like idolizing Tony Soprano, they were like, we got to have him do something fucked up. Cause like we got to remind everyone he's the villain. Right. Yeah. And like, that's what Carcetti's cheating in this season really reminded me of was like every now and then them being like, you like him, right? Okay. Well here he is cheating on his wife. Yeah. He, he's, <laughs> he sucks. Yeah. He's ring those expectations right down to real yeah. realistic real quick. Cause he, nobody's perfect. Um, but yeah, so there's, uh, the the one thing I'll the last thing for for Carcetti and then I think and I, I I feel like I'm just hogging this episode or this part of the episode right now I feel like we we should move on to Bunny next yeah absolutely is, 
the way Burrell leaks to Carcetti about Hamsterdam because Burrell sees that Royce is going down mm -hmm. and he wants to have it in his pocket that when this next guy takes that his job will be and you you realize like God like the politics like the the voted for politicians are so their connection to the law enforcement is so important because of how they this how they coexist in this way that only one is protected by the other via these glad hands and insider information and whatnot and it just dude the way he double crosses bunny colvin this season is so fucking gross absolutely and is it because he sees it he sees mm -hmm. how valuable a safe place for these you know unserved communities to exist safely without the and and also just how how dramatically it cuts down the gang violence yeah <laughs> but yeah that yeah. that that being said let's let's move on to bunny Col colvin and his refusal to cook books to manipulate the crime rate instead he just creates a solution yeah i mean you you said it yourself like this is one of the most memorable things that I think even people who aren't like super, super into the wire, but just like watched even, you know, not the entire thing is people remember Hamsterdam. Because um, didn't this, this is an actual thing that happened in Baltimore. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it is. It was bas basically just declaring like <clears throat> free zones, you know, away from where a lot of people were living <laughs> to just be like, if you deal over here and keep it, within these corners or within these blocks, we're going to leave you alone. But if you deal outside of these blocks, we're going to come down on you like insane. Right. And, um, that's what Colvin sets up and it is by Brilliant. all, yeah, by all, by all definitions, if the goal is to reduce crime and violence in the community, it works. Yep. And then somebody Fucks it all up. <laughs> yep. And he is he is he is a, a a competitor for your least favorite character in absolutely one of the most disgusting acts in the whole fucking show mm -hmm. is when Herc snitches on Hamsterdam. Yep. It is the thing that makes his character unredeemable to me. Yeah. I mean, there's many things, I think, with Herc, but yeah. Even mm. him working for the criminals later doesn't disgust me like this double cross does. Yeah. So this he... is truly like we should, I feel like we should, I, I feel I'm so sorry. We're just, I'm hogging this episode so no, far. Man. We're good. The Carver makes sense to talk about next, but um, this is truly when their paths diverge, diverge. completely. They, they completely diverge here. Yeah. So Herc, Herc leaks to the press word gets out. You know, it's in the papers. It's Washington the finds out about it. And yeah, they're going to pull funding. Um, yeah, federal funding for the city over it. So, you know, Burrell and Rawls. it's not just Baltimore. It's our entire country's disgusting. <laughs> yeah, so Royce decides he's going to end the experiment, and Burrell and Rawls make Colvin the scapegoat. Um, Denote and, him to lieutenant? Yeah. So he loses some of his pension money? Loses some of his pension and... Um, also, he was going to get a, a campus security job at Johns Hopkins and 
Burrell basically calls and gets them to rescind that offer. Um, Burrell, though, that sound clip in that Queensway song that is one of the the best lines that he has in the whole show is Baltimore gentlemen, the gods can't save you. Yeah. Um, incredible line. Burrell is if, if Ziggy wasn't my least favorite character, Burrell might have a shot at that. Right. But I hate his face. (laughs) I mean, again, like so well played. Yeah. There's, there's a reason you hate him. He does it so, so well. Um, He has the most disingenuous smile I've ever seen. Yep. Yep. Um, <laughs> shout out Queensway. Fuck yeah. Yeah, yeah. Queensway rocks. Baltimore rules. Um, but yeah, the, the one last thing. Um, Stringer contacts Colvin before he's iced iced out to yeah. give up Avon. Yeah, absolutely. He 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 snitches on Avon and um like you know, Stringer, I think, saw before he was killed. A, a like-minded soul in Bunny Colin. Yeah. Um, you know, just like legitimizing things in a way, right? Is what mm-hmm. it came down to. Um, so I think that's why he was willing to trust um, him. Trust him. Yeah. Which his his trust wasn't bad. No. <laughs> but God, dude, Bunny Colvin, one of he is he is if if not for you know the omars of this this show and carver's growth as a character and everything just the the few seasons that bunny's in he is one of my all-time favorite characters of television period he's fantastic he's totally he's a good person in this show <laughs> yeah totally a genuine agree. good person um well let's move on to somebody who's some not always a good person but uh carver and his connection to bunny and Carver becomes a real, like, a a real asset. Yes, to the community in this season. He very much is. He is the best parts of Kima. He is the best parts of Daniels. And then he starts to gain the conscience, like the conscience. Of Bunny Colvin, mm-hmm. as he he does such a good job, I think in this season of soaking up all the lessons that he had refused to learn in every other season of the show. Yeah, like th- this is where to, I think you 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 made this point in the last episode. We see his transition from you know v- viewing himself as like an occupying army, you know, occupying soldier in a hostile territory to actually seeing himself as part of the community and understanding that like the people that he's policing are real fucking people. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Like, well, it's because, him. well, it's cause he also like, this is the season where he realized like he gets put on this drug enforcement unit and then he never gets any CIs mm-hmm. and he really gets to learn this season, like how important it is to actually build that community trust Yep, with yeah. some people. And, and the 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 moment, and and I've I've watched analysis of this show, and people point this up out as the most corrupt thing that happens in the whole show, and as like a truly horrible thing that Carver does in the show, and it really does like 
I can I think it like shows me how like cucked we are as like a whole society on the police that people think that Carver moving that body was a bad thing to do mm -hmm. and don't see that that was the moment when he realized like I was on I was on the Reddit forums like looking at like like opinions on the wire and whatnot and reading like about this scene because I wanted to know what people thought of this scene mm -hmm. and people are like oh my god it's the it's the moment his character like truly does like like makes the turn to being like the a bad like a guy and I'm like oh my god you really thought like all the times when he was like beating the fuck out of criminals that was awesome that's yeah. crazy but like when he has the 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 wherewithal to move that body, even though that's what causes Herc to have the ammo to mm -hmm. to make the call and snitch it up and 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 fuck everything up, him that moment when he chooses to do the wrong thing for the right reasons for the right reason, yeah, is uh is is like that eye opening moment where I was like whole I was I was shocked. Like watching the show, that was one of the most shocking moments of the show. Was watching Carver do the right thing, yeah, or the it, wrong thing for the right well, reasons. Well, like season <laughs> season one, Carver, I think would have taken the body as just at see, these people are fucking animals. helpless. They're scum. They're yeah. animals. Like there's no point in trying to contain this. They just need to all be locked up, right? And he was and like, it, "No, this is the one." Yeah, this is the one bad thing that's happened. This has done so much more sea good. Of good. Right. Like think about how many fewer bodies we've had everywhere yeah, because of this experiment. Um, and I don't want this to, I don't want this to get ruined for all these people um, to get thrown back into this system. That's not helping anybody. Um, so yeah, he chose to move the body and yeah, it does. I'm both like, you know, surprised, but not surprised that like rant, random Reddit, commenters were like oh that was such a shitty thing for him these are the same yeah. people who like you know are saying things like well you took out student loans pay them back um, exactly you know that kind of shit so um, but yo the the one the one last thing on carver the one of the best things he does this season other than move that body is he taxes the dealers to pay the out-of-work hoppers yes that is so cool i loved that dude he does a ubi <laughs> Dude, I mean, str straight up, like it is um, uh, the, the the model of like planned economies taking care of everybody. He's like, okay, this is a net good, but it's put the hoppers out of work. I got to make sure the hoppers get taken care of, man. Um, yeah, brilliant. I'm so glad you brought that up. Yes. All right. Let's run your cops. Who you want to start with? Uh, who do I want to start with? Um, let's start with... Let's start with Bunk, um, because I think in season three, like a, a lot of the the biggest role that Bunk plays is in his connection with Omar, right? Yes. Um, like, and it starts because he is trying to track down Omar because of a civilian killed in one of he, his operations, right? Only to find Somebody out. That was one of his, that was one of his girls. Right. He thinks it's a civilian. Um, he, he keeps investigating even after his superiors have, you know, told him to, you know, instead look for another cop's stolen gun. Right. Yeah. And which Bunk just, dude, that is so fucking good. How they show how that is the most important thing Yep, is covering absolutely. their own ass. Covering their ass is the most important thing, but Bunk, 
um, you know, wants to solve this murder um, because he genuinely believes, you know, that this was a civilian. Uh, the scene where Bunk and Omar meet up um, is, in my opinion, Bunk at his finest mm -hmm. um, because we find like Omar typically like calm but defiant um, and, you know, reveals that like, no, she worked for me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like nobody's going to talk to you about shit, man. Like, and Bunk, he gets mad, but he uses that anger to talk about like, yo, man, we're from the same place. We grew up in the same neighborhood, went to the same high school in West Baltimore. Um, we used to have a community here and we don't anymore because of predators like you. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Omar is moved by it and i think one of the things that omar does is find that fucking gun and he returns it to bunk um <laughs> so yeah and then the the other just thing that that continues to play a role is bunks bunks like partnership slash friendship with mcnulty takes a little bit of a backseat in season three mm -hmm. but i think you know like i mean we see this the start with the five homicides in one night like they're at a they're at a baseball game together, and Bunk ends up leaving his kid with McNulty at the Orioles game so he can, you know, go out and start investigating. Um, but he also, um, like, recognizes like, hey, you're drinking less, you know what I mean? And he's mm -hmm. kind of like, just starts to notice that there has been some actual change in McNulty over the course and of effort the season. being made. and effort. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, because the the last season is him and uh him and Beatty have that near <laughs> near yeah. mance. Yes, yeah, pseudo relationship. <laughs> and then he decides that he doesn't want to drag her down with him. Mm -hmm. And then almost in season three, McNulty starts to make a decision to stop being as big of a piece of shit before he's gonna do something as arguably insane at the end of the show. <laughs> yeah which i mean um, we'll, we'll talk about it when we get there but i'm like um the one yeah. thing the one, one thing the one detail of bunk's story or the season that i love is that he gets put on stringer's murder and clearly can tell it was omar who killed him and then goes i'm just gonna leave this case open yeah <laughs> i'm not gonna solve this right it's like there's <laughs> there's so much more value in pursuing the things that i want to pursue and leaving then, this case open yeah. yeah like i i need omar out there basically yeah. <laughs> um, if he's doing stuff like this then i guess <laughs> yeah absolutely we can't get stringer but apparently he, can. he can yeah exactly oh um, man uh, so next let's go to daniels let's do it splits um, with his wife this season splits with his wife and begins you know having a relationship with uh, Rhonda perlman the da or state's attorney as they call mm -hmm. her there um, prosecutor um you know but i think as, that, that, i i i ship them better than him and his his his, his wife yeah he, he but he doesn't want to make it public while mm -hmm. you know his ex-wife or you know separated wife is running for city council because because he's that guy he's that guy and he you know he thinks <laughs> it would look bad for her to have him leave not just have left her but left her for a white woman yeah um so yeah, he's, you know, we've seen 
Daniel's kind of like through the first three seasons, like in the ups and downs of the favor of the brass. Right. Um, but he's at a point where he's, you know, getting commended and praised because of his good work. Um, but he wants to be promoted to major and he, he's pretty sure that Burrell's Burrell is holding him back. Um, and has more beef with McNulty. Um, yep. when he breaks the chain of command, breaks again. the chain of command again, you know, like season one all over again. Um, and after, you know, Stringer gets killed um, and Colvin has to leave the police department because of, you know, because he ended up taking the fall um, for the Amsterdam thing. Daniels, you know, gets promoted um, to major finally. And that's, that's where he ends up by the end of season three. Um, Yeah. So we, we, we see him kind of, I don't know how it would describe, just like playing the role assigned to him. He is not one of the most major characters throughout the third season, but still plays a critical role in moving the story forward. Steady hand, um, if you will. Steady hand. And yeah, like him. That's being, what his character is. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the, the, the relationship between the, the love hate relationship that he and McNulty have mm-hmm. will continue to, to come up again as, you know, in season four, when McNulty goes back to being a street cop. Yep. Um, let's, let's talk Freeman real quick before we jump to Pre, uh, mm-hmm. our shared character in Prez. And mm-hmm. the one thing Freeman does this season that I thought was most notable is he masterminds that tapped burner phone. Yes. Where they tap the burner phones at the, at the point of sale. So they sell these already tapped phones because they realize that the reason they're not using the fucking pay phones or any of these different things anymore or the pagers or the texts is because they're driving so far out mm-hmm. and getting these burner phones and bringing them into Baltimore so they can make these calls untraceable. And right. But again, she, Freeman is what's scary about the surveillance state. That's right. And, and this is, it's interesting too, because like, this is one of the parts of the show that if you're watching it with fresh eyes in fucking 2024 feels very dated. Yes. I mean, because it's like first before he even like, you know, comes up with this plan to like have pre-charged, you know, burners that they're getting to folks first, they have to figure out what the fuck a burner is. Yeah. They, They didn't, they were stumped at the beginning just by the fact that they were, using phones and throwing them away. Um, you know, and that was, but that, yeah, it was the early two thousands and that was new shit back then. Um, yeah, no, it's just scary. Cause you think of, you want to think about the NSA as like these like bumbling morons, like all like the CIA is now. And like some of the FBI is now how like it, our, our alphabet, our alphabet agencies aren't what they were. They aren't overthrowing countries and getting away with it. They aren't like, they aren't um, COINTELPRO like convincing us to murder each other as 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 rapid rates as they did in the the seventies. But you just the idea that somebody as competent and capable as Freeman is like hand on the joystick, mm-hmm. 
overseeing all of our communications is so scary. Yeah. And also that he's not like a bad dude. Yeah. You know, but, but he's, he's just good at his job, good at his job and using that intelligence and power, um, you know, for the surveillance state. And I think also the, the timing matters here too. We've, you know, at length, as we've talked about Steve's career, talked about just what shit was like in the United States in the early 2000s, but the Patriot Act and really the a surveillance state that had already been there, but now rising with full-throated support from a yes. lot of the public, mm-hmm. right? Instead of just being this thing people were nervous about, new technologies were emerging and the government was not getting any pushback from immediately using those technologies to spy on us because of terrorism yep. and people were scared of quote terrorism so. and they talk about terrorism in the wire they yeah. they that every time they're trying to get the the fbi on board to get yeah. in here it's always they're always like oh well we're we're all focused on counterterrorism now we yeah. don't give a shit about drug trafficking throw out the t-word <laughs> and that's how you know if, if you can that's how you get people's attention right and and start to, to get get the judge to sign or get the fbi to give you some resources right yeah. All right. So before we get into season four, we'll talk Prez Belusky. And the only thing I can really think that's that noticeable is the end of him being a cop. Yeah. Um, he kills a black cop. And I remember. And it's really fuzzy. It's it's really fuzzy. And I just remember, too, even before rewatching, one of the little images that has always stuck in my mind from the first time I, you know, was watching the wire as it aired is when McNulty bends over the body, finds the badge and realizes that it was a cop and looks up at Prez with his mouth, like his like eyes and mouth, just like wide open. Like the, it's like the only time in the series that you see McNulty, like shocked. What the fuck? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So Prez kills a cop, um, gets brought up on charges, you know, it's, quits. uh, what's that? And quits and, and quits. And, you know, bef- before actually, you know, the verdict from the hearing coming out, um, quits, even though he had like Daniels and Freeman had both all going to stand up with him, yeah. stand up for him, that he wasn't racist, that it wasn't a racially motivated killing, but, you know, he confesses to Freeman he never really wanted to be a cop anyway. Like mm-hmm. this is, and we've talked about this as part of the evolution of Prez's character from just like drunk, reckless asshole, scumbag cop to there being something deeper there. It's hard to have empathy for someone who is using their power to harm and terrorize so many people as Prez was doing as a police officer. But the reason why he was a cop was all fucking circumstance, man. This is the family yep. he was born into, mm-hmm. Stan Valchek's son-in-law, you know? And so um, this is, but yeah, so rather than waiting for the verdict of his administrative hearing, he just quits. Respect. Respect, yeah. Yeah, no, respect for identifying that you're doing the wrong thing and you should probably just change your fucking shit up. Yep. Um well, yeah, you want to close the book on season three and move on to season four? Let's move on to four because, man, we I got to be honest, we're not going to get through two here. So we'll have to, I want to give 
for its flowers because it's one of the most impactful seasons for me. So let's yeah, we can do we can do a, a a short one where we just run through season five. Yeah, an appendix, if you will. Um, season four, like, though, I'm calling it. Welcome back, Hopper. <laughs> I knew that one would at least get a oh, chuckle man. out of you. <laughs> it's so, dude. Are you sure you're not a dad? Because these are these are dad jokes. Yeah, they are. Percent. Um, fuck. All right, let's let's round out with my guy who goes out this season, and or start out with my guy who goes out this season, and that's Bodie. Mm-hmm. He gets put on a lesser corner because of the war with Marlo, and I realized I was mixing up his story with last season. He just kind of gets fucked. And yeah. this season, he just continues to get fucked because mm-hmm. this is the season where he gets absorbed into Marlowe's territory. Yep. And he basically just has to, he has to just eat shit. Yep. And he's, uh, what, what, I, I call this the curse of competence that so many people in the employ of uh, inferior managers um have where they are just they're they're set up to fail yet succeeding against all odds Mm -hmm. and that's what he's doing he's he's still selling the weak package he's making it work though um i guess we can in talking about uh in talking about Cuddy, or in talking about Carver, or ooh, not Carver, not in talking about Bodie right now. I'll just get Weebay out of the out of the way. Yeah, um, we get introduced to Naaman, mm-hmm. his son, his son, who sucks at drug dealing, <laughs> <laughs> and we find yeah. that out because Bodie is forced to employ him, and mm-hmm. uh, and yeah, that's just that that part sucks. Mm-hmm. He basically gets like forced this kid who's supposed to be in the game. And he has, he just wants to sit around and read comic books. He wants to be a kid again. We get uh, echoes of Wallace at this yeah. season in so many ways. Yeah. Um. But yeah, man. And then through everything, Bodie goes out in the bravest death in the whole season or the whole series. I think. Absolutely. He, everyone abandons him. He just stands his ground and knows he's gonna die, but. After everything he's been put through, he is just unwilling to lose one more time. Mm-hmm. So he just he goes out fucking blazing, man. And uh and yeah. He he does, and I mean the other thing is the impact that Bodhi's death has on McNulty because McNulty feels and is to some extent responsible for it. Yeah. Um, when he reads he reads his age in the paper and he's like 26 mm-hmm. and it just it you feel how much it hurts him oh i did forget one thing uh so he gets all disillusioned with snoop and chris and their just rampage that they're going on yeah. and uh in a discussion that he has with poot at one point poot's like well i mean this is what we did to wallace yeah and bodie doesn't he he still sees Wallace's killing is justified. Yeah. And that this is real we, we get the divergence between Putin and Bodhi. Yeah. Like where you realize like when when Putin leaves him on that cor- on that corner to die, he's leaving the game, period. Yeah. Yeah. Because Bodhi right. was kind of what was keeping him in. Mm-hmm. And uh and yeah, dude, um 
It just sucks. It, it, he does such a good fucking job playing this character. And Brilliant. I wish I saw that actor more often in, in other things. There is my favorite scene of Bodie in the whole fucking series is this season when McNulty walks into the diner and sees Bodie's already in there and he gets his food and he goes, why not? I'm going to go sit with this kid. <laughs> and they sit down and they have a meal and it's it's the start of that real closeness yeah. that ends in McNulty kind of not protecting him mm -hmm. because he is seen with McNulty several times, even though Bodie's not giving anything up. Yeah. Not yes. not snitching, just talking to a cop and just being friends. But essentially. Being, being seen with him was enough though. That was enough. And uh but man, that diner scene when they sit down and eat, I I've I've just YouTubed that before just to watch it because it it makes me feel <laughs> to watch them uh them just just sit there and share a share a meal. Um yeah. But now with him gone, and uh, we only got one one more uh, group of gangsters to talk about now, until there's more next season. Mm -hmm. um, let's talk about Snoop and Chris real quick. And Dude. they kill so many people this season. They kill so many people. My my fuck though, Snoop at the hardware store buying the nail gun, like one of my favorite scenes that's an opening scene to an episode i'm pretty sure yeah yeah like yeah just to the way <laughs> the way that she like you can tell the the dude that works at the hardware store understands like 30 percent of what she's saying mm -hmm. <laughs> and you know and then she just hands him a huge wad of cash and a tip and he's like no no you pay for it up there and she's like no go ahead and take care of that for me <laughs> and then like walks out and you know, yeah, the 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 line where she gets back in the van with Chris and is telling him about the nail gun, no kickback. You know what I mean? Like it's it is just pure Snoop. Um, it's it's so good, dude. She's yeah. so fucking funny. Um, but yeah, man, this this season does so much with the introduction of Michael as a character mm -hmm. and his his the just rise and fall i guess this yeah. season um and just the way the way he gets recruited through chris being willing to do the thing mm -hmm. to get his allegiance that is one of the most emotional killings the whole fucking series where without saying yeah. that chris has been abused yeah they tell right. you Chris has been abused. Yep. But how that, brutally he kills his stepfather. Yeah. Michael and yeah, it's um like yeah, it brutal, right? As they've been doing so much with the fucking nail gun and everything else, but Chris beats Michael's stepfather to death. That um, scene is what makes Chris to me one of the most powerful characters in the whole show. Yeah. And he's not and, in the first two seasons. No, he's not. But yeah, there's the, you know, you see too that he and Michael have this connection, mm -hmm. having both been abused um, as kids. And it's a, it's a, it's a brutal, but very satisfying killing. If I'm oh yeah. Like, oh yeah. Right. No, right. Cause in, in a world, one of the few. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Where there's just so much gratuitous violence and, you know, people needlessly dying 
um, here's a motherfucker that really had it coming. Yeah, really um, had it coming because if he wasn't, um, there was about to be another victim. That's right. Because Bug would have been right for the uh, yep the picking in that in that way, and Michael knew that, mm -hmm. and so did Chris. Yep. <laughs> Chris wasn't doing it. You could tell Chris wasn't doing it just for Michael, mm -hmm. but it was so important for him to do that. Yep. To get Michael in their grasp and in, in their, in their organization. Um, one thing this season does do with Chris in particular, Snoop, I think more, more Snoop is more or less just like, uh, I mean, you're with the nail gun scene and everything. She's comedic relief. Yeah. Um, she plays a role similar to Omar in so many of these shows where he just there she's there to make you laugh because if you weren't laughing, you would be so horrified. Um yeah. by everything else happening. Yeah. But Chris this season, where Stringer is the coal is the you know, calculated cool and Avon's the hot headed like head of the organization. Marlo is the Marlo's you 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 want to think that Marlo is the calculated one and isn't pulling the trigger. Chris is the one who's calculated. Absolutely. And he's the one doing the killing. Mm -hmm. Marlo just happens to be the one who is in charge. In, in charge, right. But every one of Marlo's decisions that he wants to make are genuinely typically wrong. Mm -hmm. And Chris is constantly this season talking him out of going right after people yeah, and convincing him to do this instead. Mostly knowing, I think that if he did go right after people, the person he's putting in danger is Chris. It's Chris. Right. Yeah. And he does such a good job of convincing Marlo to do different things. Like the way they go after Omar by convincing other people to do it mm -hmm. by trying to set Omar up. But Marlo's just pissed because Omar robbed the card game. He's at, he wants the, the, the disrespect. Yeah. And Chris is like, don't worry about respect. Right. Let's He's just get him dead. Still operating at this like, you know, low level of like, you know, I was disrespected. And so I'm going to make a hot headed decision rather than like playing fucking chess. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you realize Chris is not only playing chess. He's also pulling the trigger. That's right. And that's what like you, you, you couldn't accuse him of being like scared to act because he does. He's, he acts plenty, but he's also very strategic in a way that Marlowe is not. Um, yeah. And just the way they all, they come out with the cops every time is just so funny and impressive so often throughout the show. Yep. Like, I'm pretty sure this is the season. Do, do they get pulled over this season? I can't remember if it was this season or the next season. They get pulled over a couple, like Herc pulls them over at one point and, you know, they're able to hide their guns from him. And then he, sees the nail gun and thinks nothing of it because he's a fucking idiot. Don't they hide the gun in like the CD player? Yeah. They have like they have a, a compartment. compartment. Yeah. That, so uh, cool. <laughs> I think Kima finds it. Kima yeah. is the one who finds it later, but of course Herc didn't because he's a fucking mm -hmm. idiot. Um, <laughs> I love your anti-Herc shit, dude. Yeah. All right. Well, let's move on to the coppers and uh, so we can get to the, 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 the kids and the, the kids. school because yeah. you're, you're going to, you're going to go off on that. Yeah. Um, Let's talk about Daniels real quick. Sure. Um, so, yeah, season four, Daniels is a major. Um, the Western District. The Western District. Um, he he wants to recruit 
McNulty back to being a detective, but McNulty is actually very happy being a street patrol cop. Um, and there's, I'm trying to, some of the other big connections he gets, here. He gets Kima moved, uh, moved to homicide out of major crimes because yep. she's miserable there by herself. Yep. Cause without the, the rest of the gang, she's just, she's sad. Yep. Gets Kima moved a, a connection with the kids. Um, you know, we'll talk about later, but Prez is the one who, who tells Daniels that, that he knows that one of his students, Randy knows something about the bodies are. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, refers that over to Carver, which begins a relationship between Randy and Carver. Um, and, you know, gets on Carcetti's good side. Yes. Um, because the, he's pursuing quality arrests over just pumping the numbers. Yep. And this is what really makes me like Carcetti so much. Right. Like there seems to, again, be like a genuine, like, oh, it's such a contrast with Royce, you know, yeah. and who like didn't give a fuck or just wanted like stats. window. Yeah. Window dressing stats, like just get the numbers. And Carcetti seems genuinely to be like, yes, let's actually try to get it. Like some of the bigger roots that are actually harming people um, out on the streets rather than just a bunch of like bullshit, low level arrests that mean nothing. Right. Um, and I think the other thing that I would note is um, we should talk about Freeman next, in my opinion, because Freeman is the one that finds the bodies in the vacants. Or, 22 you know, bodies. 22 of them. And so he has to go to Daniels to ask for, you know, more manpower. But, you know, speaking of trying to reduce crime, clearly the homicide rate went way, way up, up yeah. when they found you know, 22 bodies that they had previously. Um, and that causes Rawls and Burrell to start to conspire against Daniels. Yeah, because it, it's looking now because he's in Carcetti's good graces so much that Daniels, you know, could potentially become commissioner. Mm -hmm. um, and Burrell and Rawls obviously don't want that. So they get back up to their bullshit. Um but yeah, yeah. Uh, so Freeman this season, though, is like essentially like the leader of the major crimes, even though, even though he is not a lieutenant. Basically, right? Is <laughs> there like there? It's it's I mean, it's uh, it's the uh, the curse of competence that I talked about with Bodhi earlier. It's despite being led by a terrible manager, uh, Freeman is managing to just do good police. <laughs> Mm -hmm. but That's he right. leaves the unit uh after it's shut down because they start pursuing clay davis yep <laughs> who we should have talked about already as one of the criminals i, guess. I think he moves back into being a politician this yeah season. <laughs> i guess so he's um, just a straight criminal in season three though. <laughs> that's true i mean you know so he's Sidner is starts to find some evidence, right, of Davis's bullshit subpoenas him. So you know he for something with a mortgage or something like that. Yeah, like yeah, some sort of like mortgage fraud um, tied up into the development stuff, the stuff he was doing with Stringer, et cetera. Um, 
but <laughs> ends up, you know, like directly a, a, approaching the day before the primary, Carchetti, to be Ex like uh, extorting twenty ex grand from him. yeah, <laughs> and then on election day, going out and you know still trying to get out the 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 uh, vote for Royce, for Royce and because he kind paid of, him more, <laughs> yeah, just but, but just like yeah, I could have. I could have, I could have got you for more, man. You know, just again, no shame yeah. um, at all. Just like very matter of fact, like I could have took you for way more. Um, yeah. I, I wrote, he fleeces Carcetti, the same as Stringer and Sabatka. Yeah. Because again, so, like you said in the, in the last episode, he's the most flat character. Of the whole show. He's the most flat character. Yeah. And again, you know, at the end he conspires with Burrell um to keep daniels down yep. um because basically like daniels, he knows he's in trouble he knows he's in trouble so he's gonna do everything he can to get rid of daniels so that his own money laundering and own uh fraud and financial crimes don't come to light so yeah he's he is more yeah i think you're right he's he's still a scumbag criminal but he's doing it fully as a politician rather than working directly with you know Drugs. Uh, drugs, like he was in season three. That's right. Well, let's jump from Davis and do Carcetti, and then we'll bounce back to Bunk so we can end on at least one good cop. Um, I guess we got Carver to talk about, too. Carver, and yeah, and we can make, I think we can use Prez as kind of the transition to the school. Oh, actually, we should talk about Carver later while we're talking about the kids. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, but yeah, let's talk about Carcetti. Uh, angles himself against Royce. Uh, uses you know uses inside info from valchek so like he is he is truly operating this season mm -hmm. and and doing everything he can to manipulate shit um goes to war with burrell again like we said and gets the starts getting close to daniels mm -hmm. um this is the season where he consolidates that vote against uh using greg against royce i forget just so much of season three and four just that those stories blend yeah. so much together because well, right. it feels so seamless because the campaign starts yeah. in season three but the election is in season four but yeah but then the the big thing that happens that again all of the hope that he can have to make any sort of change budget shortfall yep ruins everything mm -hmm. and, and that's and that's just ain't that ain't that just the way it is right well he had he had big plans for the police department and then it's the, the schools in particular that were facing a huge budget deficit. And, um, you know, he goes to ask the governor for a bailout and the governor seeing that, you know, like basically Carcetti is a know, threat is a threat, uh, says like, well, if you, you got to make this public that you needed my help and you had to come and ask for my help because you couldn't run your city. Yeah. From um, this Republican governor. Yeah. Um, Carcetti doesn't take it. And that's, you know, that is one of the points where again, he puts his own ambition ahead of, you know, the good of people. The, yeah. Well, like something that could have genuinely helped the people of Baltimore and instead was like, yeah, this wouldn't look good for my, you know, governor campaign. So nope, we're just going to have to suffer. Yep. Um, and which say, is yeah. yeah, which is truly like when when I, I love that 
that is so eye-opening to so many people who look at politics and think that like politicians are stupid yeah <laughs> no they know what they're doing they know exactly what they're fucking doing. <laughs> they know what they're fucking doing. They do have an understanding of the world. They're playing like they don't. Yep. They're pretending to be as stupid as you are. And it, and as stupid as they think you are. Um yeah, it's awesome. Mm -hmm. Very cool. It's the most it, it it is it is truly like the most realistic thing that happens to the whole show, I think. <laughs> yeah, one <laughs> of them for sure. <laughs> yeah, and it 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 again, just this, you know, we've again, like you said, from the you know, the cheating, so many other things we get, we, we have plenty of evidence that Carcetti is, you know, just as scummy as everybody else, but he's still like a very charismatic, mm -hmm. likable politician. This is his relationship with Daniels. There's so many things there, but it's, it's that moment when he's like, I can't, I can't take this bailout because it'd be bad for me personally. Um, that, his true like that is his true colors coming yeah. out yeah it doesn't matter how much he's telling you he cares or how much he you really believe he cares because mm -hmm. he does care but he cares more about himself he cares more about himself that's right yeah well somebody who doesn't care more about himself sometimes is is the bunk and the, yeah we see bunk here again it's like it feels unfair to ever say that he's playing like a background role because he's certainly not. Mm -mm. But I think you see here in season four and continuing into season five, we just like bunks pathway is like, I'm good police and I want to do good police work basically. And he is, does tie people together a lot. He, he ties people together. So like he's on fruits murder. Um, can't find Lex. Who was one of, Fruit yeah. was one of, was that? Stanfield's. One of Stanfield's guys, because he yeah. was killed by one of Bodie's crews, who That's was right. then a victim of Chris and Snoop. Exactly. So it's like, he knows Lex is, he, so this, yeah, it's tying together. He knows Lex is dead, but there ain't no bodies, because yep. at this point, they don't know that Snoop and Chris have been putting all these bodies in the vacant houses, right? Um, And he, like, I think my notes are so Chris tries to frame Omar yep. for a murder in a convenience store. And Bunk and, basically proves it wasn't Omar. Yeah. Like Omar gets in touch, proves that it wasn't Omar. Um, Bunk was initially trying to ignore him, but like Omar had to remind Bunk kind of like, dude, I helped you out. I helped you out, man. And like, now you owe me one. And, um, you know, gets, Omar released and, and in exchange gets a promise from Omar that he's not going to stop killing. Him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then at the end, um, Freeman, when he transfers back to homicide, him and bunk start working together again. Um, and that's like, you know, when Freeman finds Lex's body, all the other bodies that were in the vacants, yep. um, et cetera. Again, like I said, bunk ties people together. He does. Absolutely. And this, this, uh, you know, ag again, connected with the role of like, Hey, McNulty, you're, you seem to be happy and doing, doing better. And, and I found out through one of the things that I read, you know, obviously we're not focusing on McNulty here, but like one of the reasons that he 
just wasn't around as much was literally like he wanted to spend more time with his kids back home in England. So Dominic West, the actor, so they purposefully gave him a more minor role. Um, That's charming. Until season five, basically, right? Because, yeah, it's one of these things like, you know, it's hard to remember now that we look at, you know, shows like The Wire, The Sopranos as these like iconic hits of prestige television that they were. It was just a job for some people. Yeah, he didn't know (laughs) this, you know, this could have been done after the first season, right? And instead he's finding himself like, oh, this is the biggest job of my career and it's in Baltimore and I live mm-hmm. in the UK. And I think I mean, after, the reason why our, yeah. our boy Steve isn't in season two and three is because he's on tour. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It, it frustrated um, David Simon. Yeah. <laughs> Cause he had more plans for, for bubbles Wayland. character that, yeah. that he Bu- couldn't do without Wayland. Yeah. Bubbles and Wayland would have done more stuff if Steve wasn't actively touring at this time in the early two thousands, early to mid two thousands. So, um, yeah, that's bunk. Well, yeah, if you're done with the bunk, then let's move on to the kids. And I think if we're talking, if we're coming from from bunk and Lex, let's talk about Randy. Yeah, um, you know, this is the I, I I alluded to this a little bit in our general introduction the last episode, but um, to paint a little bit of a picture of my life, so this. Season four of The Wire came out when I was starting my second year of teaching in the South Bronx um, in a in a neighborhood that is in some ways very similar to, you know, the Baltimore that we see depicted. In some ways not. Um, like I, there was, I personally never felt unsafe, you know, there, but um the shit that my kids were dealing with, the shit that went on, especially at night after people like me had like gone home, you know, mm-hmm. et cetera. Um, there was, there was bad shit. And it was like, you know, not uncommon for me to come like in the morning and have kids be like really tired, including kids who were usually like pretty with it in class. And me be like, Hey man, what's up? How you feeling today? And it'd be like, fucking helicopter in the air for hours last night. I couldn't sleep because Somebody got shot and they were looking for someone and so just had a police helicopter hovering like right at building level, you know, with no regard for the thousands of people just trying to live their lives and fucking go to sleep so they could go to work and school the next day, right? Um, Shit like that. So also at the same time, the movie Freedom Riders with Hilary Swank came out, Mm -hmm. which even though it's like based on a true story is one of the most laughable depictions of like, quote, like inner city, inner city like <laughs> teaching. Contrasting this with uh, the middle school in The Wire, they fucking nailed it. Like, and, and it was, they, and they nailed both, they nailed the chaos and the humanity, like both that were there, right? Um, so that's one of the reasons I picked a lot of these characters, both, you know, the kids, Prez, Grace Sampson, um, you know, Bunny plays a big role in the schools <laughs> in this season as well. Um, but to start with Randy, um, so like, you know, he's, he's part of this group. Um, he's supposed to be so unsaid, but he's Cheese's son, apparently. Yeah, he is. He's Cheese's son. And he, um, there's the, the way that we're introduced, you know, to this whole 
group of kids, Randy, Dookie, Naaman, et cetera, is um, they've been in this dispute with another gang of kids. And Randy comes up with this idea of let's fill some water balloons with piss <laughs> and, and throw them at the others. He's, and then he's the schemer. He's the schemer. Um, plan backfires because Naaman covers it's himself in piss himself. Yep. accidentally. Um, but, you know, Randy makes it. Because Naaman sucks. Yeah. This Poor season, Naaman sucks. Or Naaman, but we we see pretty early on that kid though. Straight up watching the 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 recast of this, the kid who plays Naaman is so good looking. He's a handsome dude. Absolutely He's a handsome kid, man. It's pretty yeah. crazy. So we we see like Randy early on. You know, like you said, he's a schemer, but he's got like he's coming up with ways to make money. Right? He's like, I can catch pigeons and I can sell them to Marlowe. Like that so kind of funny. stuff. Um, he gets himself involved in um, Lex's murder. Um, he gives up that Lex is the one who did it. Yeah, killed Fruit to yeah to Snoop and Chris. Yeah. And after you know Lex gets killed, little Kevin tells Randy like you did good, gives him money, and Randy is upset. Right? Yeah. Like he he didn't mean that. To he happen. didn't mean yeah. He he didn't want that to happen. Um. So, and it's interesting too, like you see the, there's a contrast there too of like, um, cause like Monk gives Randy some money too. Marlo's trying to like ingratiate himself with the kids. Mm -hmm. And then fucking, you know, one of the cops like takes his money. Um, at one point, like, you know, re refuses to believe like, you know, the he legitimately the had it. Yeah. Yeah. So just like took it and said, you know, your mom can come get it at the, headquarters um and even though some of his money is legitimately made yeah, through his yeah. candy scheme through which his candy is scheme. fucking brilliant and that's like again, i went to a school like this actually yeah. my middle school was minority white mm -hmm. and there were a couple kids doing candy schemes like this yeah but the fact awesome. like the brilliance of him he even he had the different color uniform uniforms shirts. So he could like blend in with like the sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, you know, to be in the cafeteria at each time, like selling candy. He like, you know, and he knew like, no, the smart way to do this when like Prez is his homeroom teacher, instead of like being defiant and being like, fuck you is to be like, be nice. let me get this dude to trust me. And then I can like take all his hall passes. Which <laughs> is like, so fucking brilliant. And yeah. dude, I will say, so the middle school I went to, uh, Newburgh Middle School, Newburgh, uh, Newberg. That's what would get yelled in my fucking hallway every fucking day. I can do all, it. I you all heard out that war from Newburgh, New York. Shout out, oh, which nice. is also rough as hell. Yeah. <laughs> well, Newburgh Middle was rough. It was like a, a prison disguised as a middle school. Um, you had to walk on gray lines down the hallways if you stepped out. ISAP, uh, which is in school suspension. I don't know if what they called it. When oh uh, man, we had the same shit. That was what they called it where I was. Uh, ISAP, step off the lines. ISAP, uh, your shoes have more, or your shoes are allowed to be black, white, or a combination of the two colors. Is there anything else? ISAP. Um, if you're out of uniform, ISAP. If your shirt's untucked, ISAP. Um, just complete punitive fucking school. Um, I realize I've, I don't think I've ever talked about my middle school on any, even interview I've ever done. Mm. Um, but the uniform difference thing is a legit thing. Yeah, it yeah. wasn't at my school. We didn't have different uniforms, but the school was segregated by uh, grade 
and um, the sixth graders were all on the second floor. They were released from the gym to go to class first um, because there would be fights if we were all released at the same time. The eighth graders were after the seventh grade hall, so eighth graders were released next because if they were released at the same time, there would be fights in the hall. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then the seventh graders were released last because you didn't have to walk through any, like they didn't have to walk through anybody else's area. Mm -hmm. And there was a point in time when we had a assembly in which all the white students were asked to leave the assembly. And then our principal who was black blamed all the black kids for the reason the school sucks so much. Um, awesome. Uh, one time a teacher's car got, the hood got stomped and they called every student wearing Nike Air Force Ones to the cafeteria so they could Cinderella style figure out who, uh, stomped the car and 80% of my classroom got up and left. <laughs> Needless to say, they did not find the culprit. Dude, we had, I, I just got to tell you about that. Like we had you're reminding me now of, of a very similar incident at my school. This was my high school actually um, where there was like, you know, rumors of gang activity shit starting. Right. And like, there were, there were fights, but there was no like legitimate, like blood crip gangster disciple stuff going on at, at this point. Um, but the like principal and the local cops had become convinced that something was about to pop off. So made everybody wearing red that day come out of class to the cafeteria. Your boy, of course, just happened to have a fucking red shirt on that day. Um, but so just, you know, I, at the time I thought it was fucking hilarious. And then, you know, basically similar to what you were saying at one point, they just like it for, you're not going to be able to see him cause you're listening to this on audio, but, um, Tyler still remembers how to make the blood sign with his fingers and he's doing it at me. Um, I had to, I had to let our listeners know about that. <laughs> but at one point they basically just like, without saying it, basically just like sent all the white kids back to class. You know what I mean? It was like, uh, you know, realizing like, oh, we didn't mean you guys. We didn't mean you. And I was like, I'm wearing a fucking red shirt. You said red shirt. I fucking came in here and then, you know, began interrogating everyone else, even though like the reality was me, you know, not me, but some of the other white dudes I was in there with had fucking knives and drugs in their backpack and shit, but they just let them walk and harass the black kids. Right. So, um, yeah, dude, I haven't thought about that in years. And you just reminded me of that with that air force one story, dude, we were all traumatized in school. Just saying, dude, when you um, talk to, I mean, I, I've, I've talked to some of my buddies who went to my schools or similar ones, like People that didn't go to public schools like ours, they just like, they think it is so wild when I just tell them stories about shit that was like normal, you know, or just yeah. talk, talk about stuff and be like, yeah, so then, you know, we were just walking down the hallway, like blah, 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 popping into classrooms, yelling shit. And it was like, wait, you were just walking around? I'm like, yeah. Well, what, how could you just be walking around? I'm like nobody stopped us. And then if they did, they would just be like, where the fuck are you supposed to be? And like, chase you back to class you know basically like there was constantly just people roaming around <laughs> doing whatever the fuck like yeah my my middle <laughs> was was a little more locked down than that because mm. it they they kept us yeah. so locked down if you if you were out of class you had to have all passes and i think only one student could be out of a single time mm. uh so if somebody was out of the bathroom you had to wait for that person to get back um 
Yeah, tumbleweaves were a com a common uh mm. a common occurrence though. Some of the most vicious fights I ever saw in my life were all between two girls. Of course, absolutely. Same. Un um, and that's me as a student and as a teacher, frankly. I, I believe uh, you. I saw the I saw the same thing. Um oh, well, let's get back to Randy real quick. Yeah, so Randy there's just so much in here too just about like him you still see so much that like he's still a little kid man yeah like he's very disturbed um about you know fucking feeling responsible for Lex's murder um he's terrified of Friss and they believe you he know, thinks he's a he thinks like, he's like a supernatural force yeah that he can turn <laughs> people into zombies yeah um like he, he gets super paranoid when chris is talking to michael and thinks like you know he's coming to talk about randy um like so he's you know he's he confides this to dookie um who you know is shows him that chris is not a zombie by showing yeah. him the body yeah yeah like and he says he won't share, but um, ends up getting again, like roped into being the lookout for, you know, for so, the fucking rape in the, for, in, that shit is yeah, so rough. It's, it's so rough, but again, a disturbingly common, common, realistic thing. It's one of the reasons why, like, I almost, there were points where I was like, it, when I was originally watching this, where I was both like just so deeply impressed that I was seeing such an authentic representation of what it was like to teach in a, in a low income inner city school. Um, but also like, been like, dude, I was just dealing with this all day. I'm not sure which <laughs> this right now, you know what I mean? Like yeah, that kind of thing. And, um, you know, the, he's the lookout for that. The, the girl who was assaulted, you know, like, Blames comes him. forth to say she was assaulted. Mm -hmm. Randy gets in trouble. Um, and so he ends up, you know, offering basically to the assistant principal um, or the head, I don't remember. Yeah. The assistant principal um, telling her that like, you know, what, what he knows about the murder um, because he's just very afraid of getting in trouble and very afraid of getting sent away from his foster mom to a group home. Yep. And he gets um, labeled a snitch and he starts getting his ass fucking kicked. Yep. And again, scumbag Herc comes around. Um, I mean, I get there's there's connections we can make here with with Carver, right? But yeah. like um, this is where Carver really does come into his own this season. This is where Carver comes into his own because he's like doing what he can to like protect Randy. Um yeah. both, you know, just because he cares about him as a person, but then like, you know taking him home to his foster mom and like vouching for him to his foster mom. Yep. Like, this is a good kid. You know what I mean? Like he, he's, he, he's a good kid. You just trust him. Um, Herc, like, you know, thinks he's lying about things. He, he's trying to like pressure Randy to admit that he was there. Um, Randy's telling the truth and Herc was supposed to, take randy to bunk um but didn't um and he gets yeah. seen getting out of the car yeah he gets seen getting out of the car 
and that's when he is like forever labeled a snitch. Um, you know, Michael tries his best to protect Randy, um, but word gets around. Somebody tries to burn down his fucking Somebody, mom's house. Yeah. Like he's done, you know, he's, he's accused of doing the worst thing that anyone can do, which is being a snitch. Um, Carver tries to, I'm sorry, I'm blending these stories, but I think it's, Oh no. I mean, dude, like here. Car all I got for Carver really comes into his own perfect amalgamation of bunny and Daniels cultivates yeah. a network of trust and knowledge of his area that leads to selective policing that in my mind is what should be the function of police. Yeah. And then he, he blames himself for what happens to Randy. Blames himself for what happens. You know, he he arranges for a police car to be on the lookout at Randy's house, says he's going to take care of everything. Um, but the they get he, called away. They because... get called away. Yeah. His foster mom gets second and third degree burns. Um, Carver tries to help Randy find another foster parent. He tries to become Randy's foster parent himself. Um, but you know, the system, you know, the vetting process would take months, might not be successful. Randy ends up getting sent back group to home. a group home, um, yep. where he ends up still being labeled a snitch, getting beat up. And like, I, th there's just Randy's character, the tragedy of Randy's character, um, where it's like, just totally, you take this like kid who, you know, was clever, intelligent, scheming, but in a in a harmless way, right? Like just just to like to make money. You could tell he had like a really good business mind. Oh yeah, because, because of the circumstances he was in, has multiple instances where he's at the fucking either at the wrong place at the wrong time or coerced into doing something that he was uncomfortable with. Um, and but he didn't up, want to be a punk. He didn't want to be. Yeah but in, ends up paying a price for it. And it is, he's, he's very briefly in season five, but it's a very sad appearance too, just because it shows what being in this world has done to him and what he's had to do to survive there. Um, this, this yeah, same we'll, person. We'll, we'll, co we'll come back to that. Cause there's yeah. something about Randy in season five that I heard from David Simon. Mm. That is uh Interesting. We'll I'll be interested in to hear that. Episode. But you know, this this dude who just weeks earlier was like worried that there were like zombies going to come yeah. after him. Now you has know, to the, be a grown up. And yeah, yeah, very fun. Which who you want to jump to next? It's basically all you. The rest yeah, of the I mean, let's talk about Dookie. Um, because that's what he, I got next. Unreal tragic character, dude. <clears throat> super tragic, and we see some of the tragedy in season four, but it fully realizes itself in season five. Um, Dookie is, I mean, you know, it's tragic from the, where he ends up is tragic, but it's tragic from the start. He I is, don't even like thinking about his character because it makes me sad. No, it, and again, this was another one where it's like. Too real? Too real, man. I had kids <clears throat> that I had to bring clothes for, food for. Yeah, Randy you know brings I mean? his like, lunch. Yeah, food to like eat at school, food to take home, like just knowing to like the, 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 the only that feel that powerless feeling of like the only hours that I can protect you are the hours that you're here at school. And that's not insignificant, but it's actually a pretty small part of your entire fucking life, you know? Yeah. And like, you know, the son of 
addicts um, who who neglect him. Um, he's often dirty in dirty clothes. He gets bullied a lot for that. Um, Michael and Randy are more of his parents than yeah yeah. Michael and Randy do so much to like take care, keep him safe, and keep <laughs> him safe. Um, and you see like you know at on the on the when they when they first get into school um like it's a small thing but the but where he you know finds this fan and then mm-hmm. spends you know repairing it all this time repairing it and then after this really brutal scene of a of a box cutter attack in Prez's class um like you know the 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 girl who it's maimed gets maimed. yeah like you know goes like turns the fan on cools her down gives her the fan you know what i mean like this little like silent gesture tells you a lot about what like a poor compassionate person he is yeah like gentle soul he is yeah his, his um, one thing i wrote is his journey from sweet and smart kid to lost and lonely is a fucking train wreck yeah and it is goddamn yeah it's 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 really heartbreaking um yeah when he the other thing i wrote down is when he gets evicted and he basically just has to like depend on michael yeah who you know for for a period of time like it's good is it's it's good for him um Mm -hmm. like but yeah so we've got you know a lot of people are trying to help right Mm -hmm. including prez who's like giving him clothes, you know, and, and once he realizes that when he gives him some clothes that his parents stole them, um, to sell, he, you know, gives him other clothes that he can keep at school, lets him inside earlier so that he can change, you know, yeah. change, clean himself before schools, washes his clothes for him in the evening, you know, so they're clean the next day. Um, and he's a brilliant math student. And another thing that happens, which again, I, there's a parallel here between the way that schools in these contexts operate. That's very similar to the police, which is like, oh, um, this kid is really bright. So we're just going to promote him because that makes us look good, even though socially and every other way, um, Dookie was not ready to go in, to go into high school. Um, he, so yeah, at the same time that he's like being sent to his new school, he gets evicted, um, has to come live with Michael who is, you know, proving himself to be a very, yeah. Working on the corner. Yeah. Loyal friend, but you know, Dookie just can't get himself to go into his new school. He doesn't have his friends around. There's still bullies. So he doesn't go. Um, he, starts selling basically working. He's not good at it. He's not good at it at all. He's not worked out for that. And then, and in the next season, you know, you, you, we find where that ends up leading him, but he's, you know, the, the, the school's attempt to like promote him because he's brilliant and a very good student ends up being the thing that makes him drop out. Um, so yeah, a, a, a tragic character that I just like, he also, man, I mean, I like, he, I am very fortunate to, to, be in touch with a number of my former students, like not 
tons, right? Mm -hmm. And it also makes me feel incredibly old because they're all in their like mid to late twenties now. Um, <laughs> yeah, because um, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's realizing now it's like, oh, I. So when I first started teaching you, I was twenty two and you were eleven, which seemed like the biggest chasm in the world yeah. at the time because you were a little kid. And now it's like, oh, we could like bump into each other out or somewhere, yeah. right? Um, but there's a few that I'm not. And Dookie looks a lot like one of my former kids that I, that I've tried like fucking Googling over the years, never mm -hmm. could find anything um, good or bad, but like was, came from a similar circumstance. Like he was, was severely neglected at home. Me and a few other teachers did what we could, you know, um, but there's limits, there's limits. And then he was, you know, moved on. And I don't know what yeah. happened when he, went to high school. Um, so yeah, that's why it was really important for me to talk about Dookie. Um, if I can just run through a couple really quick, Grace Sampson, I put here just yep. because she, she facilitates a lot of things. She facilitates a lot of things. And I think so many schools have these unsung heroes like Grace Sampson, mm -hmm. where if, if you look at like, you know, the statistics or whatever, it's like, Oh, there's a bad graduation rate, you know, Kids are failing, all this. Yeah, yeah, all that stuff's there. All the data's there. Do you know how much fucking worse it would be, though, if there weren't people like Grace Sampson and usually black women? Mm -hmm. Like, not always, but usually, in my experience, a black woman who is taking on this role of matriarch, authority figure, the one who is firm, but also, like, motherly. Right? Yeah, Prez is um, useless in that box cutter situation. Yeah, absolutely. And she comes in and fucking owns it. Right. Or and, and, and a, the same thing too, where you can see people who are like legitimate gangbangers and stuff like that, but would never do anything to piss off that person. Mm -hmm. You know, like I'm it's like they would talk shit to a cop, but would never talk shit to Miss Sampson. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I and I mm -hmm. that that is a very realistic depiction of some wonderful people that I, you know, got to know both in the school that I used to teach in and then doing work supporting schools over the years. So I just, you know, wanted to mention her, especially as we get into the role uh, that the, the sort of, you know, Colvin goes from the Hamsterdam experiment to kind of a school based experiment in some ways yeah. too, but where should we Hotel go? Hotel security before that though. Yeah. And, that, uh, that's important to mention. It's yeah. disillusioned by the manager letting a wealthy guest get away with assaulting a prostitute. I forgot yep. about that till I was looking mm -hmm. back into it. I was like, Oh yeah, that I forgot. That's why he quits. And yeah, uh, I got bunny and, and parenti uh, linked together here. Yes. Um, do you want to go through Prez real quick? Do you have anything on Prez? That's that. Well, important to talk about the only I mean, thing i really have for him is how he struggles with name and uh he and disciplining him which he, sucks he struggles with naming and he struggles just with being a teacher in general until yeah. he starts to realize like oh you just I have can, to speak I can your do language this, yeah i can do this from the knowledge i have from being a cop actually yeah, I can, exactly i know how you guys talk to each other outside of here and i'm going to talk to you like that in here yeah and there's something so <laughs> like really humanizing about him. Like, you know, after struggling immensely, like many new teachers do period, especially like white teachers, not from the community starting to realize like, Oh, they know about gambling. I can actually teach probability through this. Like yeah. here is a real application to something you know about. And like, you're going to be super interested because 
I'm going to make you better at the thing you want to be at when you understand probability. Um, so that's really important in his development because we see him like that and just the compassion he shows for Dookie. Well, um, also when he gets shut down on his lesson plans of showing, of actually teaching them because he's got yeah, to teach the test. Teach the test. Again, another thing, you reach a certain point in the school year in many schools and it's like, you can't teach anything except test prep. And the shame of it is, I mean, there's many shames to it, right? There's actual research that shows that ain't helping anybody do better on the mm -hmm. test. We've got, you know, so many schools will like cut extracurriculars to be like, we can only focus on math and reading. And then we have years of data now that shows kids that have fun extracurricular activities do better on their math and reading tests because they weren't just forced to drill math problems all day. Yeah. They actually like- Are enjoying a, their life. Yeah, had a well-rounded school experience <laughs> and you know had the ability to then absorb and be interested in what teachers were trying to teach them. But we still have, and it's always- poor, mostly black and brown, but real poor kids from all over the country that deal with that because the pressure is just to, quote, to duke the stats. Can I get a few more percentage points higher on this test? Well, um, and that even goes further to like, what is the real point of public school and so much of that education is just to prepare children for being willing to be in the same place for eight hours a day. That's right. Whereas private schools, you can have all the private football programs that send kids to colleges that send them to the NFL yeah. um, that you want. But uh, the, the, those, those sports programs and extracurricular programs never go away. Those mm -hmm. are never fully funded for all the wealthy kids or kids who are talented enough to be, to become financial draws for a, a, mm -hmm a school to then be able to brag about their players who go on to play professionally or in the Olympics. Absolutely. Or some shit. It's very cool. So it's like, it ends up, you can see <laughs> though, in this season, I think illustrates that like they're, it's failing everybody. Kids yeah. who are struggling aren't getting what they need. Kids who are really bright, like Dookie aren't getting what they need. Right. Like it's, you know, and so, um, but but Prez is making a big transition here into like actually shaking off his cop identity and becoming something else. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree. This is this was the season where we were like, how do we love Prez Bluski now? Right. Again, like the biggest <laughs> redemptive arc of any character in the entire series. Yeah. Yeah. Um we are running late, man. Where should we go next? I was going to say, do you want to cut it and finish this season next next episode? I think we should, man. The intention was not to make this. I feel like this... if we talk to Bunny and Parenti, we're going yeah. to end up talking for a while. Yeah. Um, let's get Cuddy out of the way. Let's get Cuddy out of the way, and then we'll we'll cut and come back and, and finish this as a three-parter. Every mom wants to fuck Cuddy. That is that... the first thing I wrote. <laughs> You're not wrong, man. Because he's running the boxing gym, he's he's just got so much respect for everybody. Yeah. Um, I love that he he's so good at his job now that he gets offered like the opportunity to like do like run his own landscaping crew. Yeah, he's and he's like, no, nah, Spanish I, now. <laughs> yeah, he's like he's like, no, nah, I'd rather just focus more on the on the gym. I'm good with what yeah. I'm doing, and I like respect that so much because when I've been offered like. 
promotions at work and I've literally thought about what I would give up in my life to be able to make more money for just like an extra $2 an hour. And I come to the conclusion every time I make enough money. <laughs> That's fine. Respect, man. Like, yeah, I, I took the promotion and uh, it, it was a mistake. Well, couldn't be me, man. Um, <laughs> But that's why I respect Cuddy, man. And yeah, uh, yeah he's he's pivotal in getting named off the streets. Yep. And uh, I forgot that he got shot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> While he's trying to get Michael off the streets, he gets shot, which truly shows him like, he. I think he learns then like, I'm willing to go to the mat for these kids. I'm not willing to die. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's something that there's a, a connection there of like, you know, he wants to train Michael and Michael's showing all this talent, but like part of the connection of Michael just being distrustful of older men in general is because of the abuse he suffered Yeah, by his stepfather. So he um, doesn't know how to take that attention in a healthy yeah, way. Cause that it's only going to be evil. That's right. Yeah. Which is so upsetting dude. The, the we'll end on this. His failure with Michael to me is the second most depressing part of the show. It's one it's, of them. Yeah. It's truly, I think Michael is, 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 I think Michael is my second least favorite character to think about. Mm -hmm. Cause he's so cute. He really is. He's man. such a good brother. He's so sweet. He's so caring. And he's, he's, but he's built perfectly for a role that he falls into. Yep. And uh, yeah, let's end it there and let's pick up with Bunny and Parenti next next yeah. episode. So we'll pick up there and uh, and then we'll take it home. This has been long but important. I mean, if you're still listening right now, you're all in. All right. So we yeah. appreciate it. We all will right, finish next episode. We will. And we'll get back to Steve programming. I promise. Uh, all right, friends. Take care of each other. Peace.